You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here at church this morning and good to be with you guys today. Thank you so much. If you're uh, visiting for the first time, we want you to feel loved. We want you to feel like you are with family. And uh, I want to give a big uh, welcome to the London International Christian Church. You know, uh, it's always encouraging when you can come to church to sing to the Lord. Encouraging when not only can you sing to the Lord, but you can sing to the Lord and you're really good at it. And of course, that is our sister Hillary Donnelly. The Bible says that we are all to sing to the Lord, but she just can sing just a little bit better than some of us. And uh, of course, she got a chance to go back to the United States to see her family. And uh, but we are we are encouraged that she is uh, she's arrived back safely. And uh, so let's uh, let's make sure that we encourage our sister Hillary being back in town with us here. Amen. We need to be praying for Nick. He's caught the uh, the flu that's kind of going around, and uh, it's been going around London. So uh, we need to be praying for Nick. We need to be praying for Ola as well. And uh, of course, there are a few of you that are here today that uh, that have that flu, and we will be praying for you as well. Amen. And uh, of course, uh, today we're going to uh, get into the Word of God, and uh, different than we've been studying. You know, we've been studying the Book of Judges. If you're visiting with us. And of course, the book of Judges is the book of leaders. And of course, we studied about Gideon in our last, or uh, well not Gideon, but Jephthah in our last study. But we talked about Gideon and, and some of the different judges and leaders. But this week, we're going to take a little bit of a shift. We're going we're gonna to just have a practical Bible study. And we're going to take a detour from the book of Judges. And uh, we're going to look at the characteristics of a true disciple. The characteristics of someone who sold out. Who's a true Christian. The way the Bible teaches. Not the way your parents, not your friends, not the way even you may feel. But what the Bible teaches. Are you with me here, church? And of course, we've uh, we've already embraced Samson. That would be our next section in the book of uh, Judges. We've already kind of had a study on him. So next week, we'll begin our study uh, on Micah's idols. And we'll finish the book of Judges. But let's turn to Matthew chapter 4 for our study today. The characteristics of a true disciple. What are the things that highlight... Someone who's a true follower of Jesus Christ. What are the characteristics? We've got to find that out in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick it on up here. In verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum. Which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. We got to understand right away here, Jesus comes and he hears that John the Baptist, John was his cousin, his relative. He hears that John gets put in prison. And of course, the response of Jesus isn't to get down, isn't to get depressed about that, but to go on preaching the word of God. Are you with me here? It says to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. The way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And of course that light was Jesus. 
on those living in a land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the church said, I mean, Jesus just says, hey, it's time a great light has dawned. And we really believe that the gospel is the light shining in this dark place. And of course, I remember we first planted the church in London. Why do you want to go to Camden? It's so dark there. I said, the light shines brightest where it's darkest, baby. And we're going to go to Camden to preach the word there. That's where we're going to begin. But we're not just going to Camden. We're going to all the boroughs in London here. Because we are coming with the light and the message of the gospel. Of course, he says here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I had to kind of dig into this because, of course, I've read this passage before. But you got to keep reading the Bible. You'll get deeper and deeper insights out of it. Are you with me here? And I looked up kingdom and I, I, I you know, I didn't, I didn't, I'd forgotten spiritually that the word kingdom means rule. The word kingdom means reign. The word kingdom means authority. All the words that help us, that stir up our hearts right there. <laughs> no one says, hey, I, I'm so excited about authority. I'm so inspired by someone reigning over me. And I'm so encouraged by God's rules in the word of God. Yet to be in the kingdom... It's all about God ruling, God reigning, God having authority over your life. Are you with me here? And if you are not, if you are not willing to embrace the fact that Jesus calls you into his kingdom and he wants to rule, reign, have authority over you, you couldn't be in his kingdom. You would not have been able to be one of Jesus' followers. Of course, with him, you would have been in a state of unrepentance. And so he calls folks into his kingdom. Now, of course, right here, he says the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, you only can go to heaven when you've died, amen? <laughs> Yet Jesus comes preaching, saying the kingdom of heaven is near. And I had to look that up. I go, wait a minute, that's, that's a little, huh, why does he say heaven right there? And of course, I found out that the kingdom of heaven is found 32 times in Matthew's gospel. And of course, Matthew was Jewish. And historically, the Jews had a holy fear when it came to mentioning the name God. And so sometimes they would say the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. And of course, Matthew being, being Jewish, he's showing his respect for God. As he writes this account, of course, God wrote the Bible, but used him as the pen. Are you with me here? And then you look up the parallel accounts, Luke and Mark, they actually use kingdom of God. And so you go, oh, is there a discrepancy there? No, 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 no. There's, there's, just, there's a purpose. And Matthew is just trying to say, listen, hey, there's a deep respect for the kingdom of God. Are you with me here? I also found out that uh, there's some few, a few other things that, 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 were, that were part of kind of the culture there that the Jews, uh, some of the philosophers uh, of that time actually embraced. And we'll get to those in a moment. So as Jesus was walking besides the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him, and the church said, I mean, they don't debate. 
to some other preacher, some other pastor, some other rabbi. Whoa, this is the this is Jesus calling me. And they drop everything and they totally trust God. Total trust. Whoa. God has come to speak to me. And they totally drop everything. And they become followers of Jesus. Now, the term fishermen, or fishers of men, rather. I, I thought it was a brand new, new term, so I, I kind of started researching that, and I found out fishers of men was not a brand new term. Centuries prior to this, Greeks and Roman philosophers had used the term to describe the work of any kind of man who would seek to catch others by teaching, persuasion, and by training. So to be a fisher of men, this wasn't something brand new. They, they had heard this. They knew what was going on right here. And I don't know if you've ever gone catching, trying to catch fish. Number one, uh, you know, you cast your, 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 you know, your pole on out there. It isn't like the fish are swimming on the top and you can, oh, there's a fish right there. Oh, there you go. And you just get the fish. No. They're, they're underneath. You don't see the fish. You just got to throw it out there and, and tr- come Give me a fish here, Lord. <laughs> and you got to trust. There's got to be that trust. And he calls them to be fishers of men. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat. And their father and followed him. And the church said, this is radical again. A total and a complete trust. I mean, these guys leave their father in the boat. And they follow Jesus Christ. And so you see, to be a true disciple, you've got to be willing to follow your spiritual father over your physical father. To be truly saved... To be truly one of Jesus' followers, you've got to be willing to follow the Jesus of the Bible over your relationships. And of course, we understand that Jesus, God came to save the world. So it wasn't like he didn't call the Father. The Father didn't trust God and stayed in his boat. And of course, the kids followed immediately, highlighting Our first point, true disciples, trust God. See, if you're a true Christian, you're a true disciple, you trust God. You believe in God. God is your, God is where you turn. He's not who, you're not angry, you you trust in God. At this particular time, they could have been angry. The Jews were enslaved, they they were, they were, they were getting, Rome was the superpower. They could have been angry at God. But they saw the call of God. And they totally trusted in God. You can't be a true disciple. You can't be a true Christian if you don't truly trust God. And often that trust is exposed in our relationships with one another. Are you with me here? We understand. The Bible teaches that the husband is to be the leader. The wife is to be the one right there next to him, supporting him there. And so you see that there's that leadership structure right there. 
And oftentimes you see it exposes a man's trust when he's called to account for the leadership of his marriage. It exposes a woman's trust when she's called to account for her followership of who the, that leader that she chose right there. And I always say, I remember a sister says, I'm tired of my husband. He's just a derelict. I can't stand him. I said, sis, well, you, you chose him here, so what's that say about you? She goes, well, he's not that bad. Hold on, he's not that bad. I just, I just want you to get in there with him. So we understand you're, you're free to choose whatever leadership you, you want. But after you choose that leadership, you must submit to that leadership. You're free to choose. That's what I told her. It's no different with us, with God. There's got to be a trust. To be a true Christian, you, you, you've got to have a trust in God. Are you with me here, church? You know, I, I love uh, just the miracles of the kingdom of God, the church. Of course, I studied the Bible back in 98. I came around for a year and a half. I counted the cost seven different times. They would say, and this week we think Michael's going to get baptized. And then Sunday morning, phew, I wasn't there. I was like, I don't know, man. I didn't trust God. So I definitely didn't trust people. Finally, I became a disciple. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I became a disciple. And there was an individual that was instrumental in me staying faithful and being committed. And uh, I, I've nicknamed him Big Chad. Some of you know Big Chad. He, he's a big man. And of course, Chad used to be a semi-pro boxer. And he's about 6'3". And he's really big. So anytime God gives you that kind of guy as your discipler in the beginning, I mean, you kind of submit right away right there. You know? <laughs> Just here. Used to be a boxer. Big old dude. How come you weren't at church, bro? I'll be there right now, bro. <laughs> it was great. Me and Chad developed a great relationship. And uh, he, he helped me. He was a Christian. He had been around longer. He had trusted. He had become a follower of Jesus the way the Bible teaches. And, and, and But sadly, there were some things that started to shake in his relationship with God. He started fearing people because he got hurt. And so he started getting afraid he's going to get hurt again. He stopped trusting people, so he, he quit putting himself forward as a leader, as the leader that he is. He stopped trusting. He got hurt. He got suspicious about things. And before you know it, he kind of started pulling back so much so that he wound up losing his faith and falling away from God. He fell away. Of course, me and Michelle, during that time, or in between that time, we had started dating. And we had, we had you know, God had blessed our dating relationship. We dated purely. And, uh, of course, the first time we had that kiss, it was at the altar. That was an act of God on my part there. I was... Just to have uh, an incredible Christian woman and to have a pure dating relationship. That, that was an act of God in my life. Uh, and so, of course, we had dated. And then, of course, God made it clear that we needed to leave Portland, Oregon and move to California to train for the ministry. And that's what we did. Now, unbeknownst to Chad, I, I had moved down to California. I didn't know either that he had moved to California as well, except he was about three hours north. He was in a, a city called Bakersfield, and we were living in Hollywood. And, of course, Chad finds out that we're living in Hollywood, and he calls me up. I said, Mike, what are you doing down here in California? I said, hey, I, I'm down here training for the ministry. How's things going with you? He goes, ah, well, you know, you know what happened with me. I, I stopped trusting. I got angry and I, I stopped being a true Christian. And so I said, Chad, you, 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 need to, you need to be a disciple. He goes, you got a passage for me? I go, yeah, turn over to Matthew chapter 4. And I read him this passage. And then it hit his heart because he had developed a relationship with a non-Christian woman and they were engaged to be married. And he told me, well, I'm getting ready to get married. 
what should I do? And of course, me, knowing that Chad was a friend of mine who had helped me, I got a little, even in my own heart, I was like, oh no, this is someone who used to be my leader. Uh, I said, well, to follow Jesus, you got to be willing to follow him over that relationship. you got to break up with her. you got to break up with her and come follow Jesus Christ. Of course, he struggled with that for a few days. <laughs> you know? But soon, Chad moves down to Hollywood, California. And that was about three hours from, from where he was living. He moved down there, broke up the relationship. She studies the Bible, decides, I don't want to be a disciple. You guys are crazy. You're radical. You ask for everything. You give money to missions. You guys are trying to be the only church that's aligning yourself with the Bible to be so war. You guys are crazy. That's just, well, yeah, you're right. That's true right there. We are crazy. She decides she doesn't want to join us. Chad becomes a Christian. He becomes a Christian. He's struggling for the first two, three months. He says, oh, I just pray, God, I want to bring her back, please. He gets surrendered. Maybe the Lord won't bring her back into his life because she is a non-Christian. And Christians marry Christians. Christians date and marry Christians. Are you with me here? Guess what happens? She begins to realize that God was calling her through him. Why? Because the women kept talking to her. Kept, you need to come to women's day. You need to do the next state. In the... She moves to California, studies the Bible, gets baptized, becomes a disciple. Not only does she get baptized, they get married in the kingdom. And now they're training to be one of the shepherding couples in the Inland Empire ministry where Cole and Mandy used to, uh, to lead right there. See, that's what it means to trust God. You trust Him with everything. And I'm not even going into the details about Chad's medical conditions because to move from Bakersfield to Hollywood where there's this big cloud of smoke, smog, it, it, it really messed up his health. But he trusted that God was calling him to that place so that he could stay sold out. And you see the fruit of that. Now, we've got to ask ourselves a question this morning. Do you truly trust God? Are you willing to give up any relationship for Jesus? Even one that can, even, even if it means your marriage. That you're willing to say, honey, I love you, but I don't love you more than I love Jesus. Honey, I love you, but not more than I love Jesus. Mom, I love you, but not more than I love Jesus. Dad, I love you, but not more than Jesus Christ. See, to be a true Christian, you've got to love Jesus more than anybody. You've got to trust God more than anybody. And building a church here in London, that trust will be exposed in relationships. It will be exposed. And God will call you to trust him. To trust the calling that he has for you. This isn't the calling of man. This is the calling of God. True disciples trust in God. You guys still with me here? Number two. True disciples are passionate. Mark chapter 3. True disciples are passionate. Of course, we saw James Morgan there. He had just a little bit of passion while he was singing right there. I mean, James gets going right there. He, if you don't get, I mean, if he doesn't get, if you don't get going when James starts singing, I don't know what's wrong here. I mean, this guy gets you going singing with passion right there. Sometimes he's a little too passionate right there, and he'll tire you out if you follow him and you're walking trying to find a different tube station. But I tell you, he's a passionate brother right there. Amen. Mark chapter three. Thank you, brother. I'm trying. 
Verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. Wow, they trusted. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. See, Jesus always had a condition to you being with him. He wanted that friendship, it says it right there, that you might be with him. But he also had a condition. He wanted to send you out to preach. That's what it means to be like Jesus. You want not only the friendship, but you also have in mind that, hey, we are not only just friends, but we are called to preach the word of God. And oftentimes, we live in a time where people don't like that, that second part. They want friendship, but they don't want to preach. And of course, to be like Jesus, you need to be doing both. It says verse 16. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the names Boadrones, which means sons of thunder. <laughs> of course, we got not only sons of thunder, but we got sisters of thunder in the church, I believe, here. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Of course, we see this is a list of individuals that Jesus chose to be with him. Right? And of course, I always wonder for years, why, why, why? I mean, he chose all these different guys. Why did he choose Judas? And of course, the answer to that is I have really no idea. <laughs> I just know why he chose me. Because he wants me to be with him and to go out to preach. To go out to preach. Right here, we see this incredible little thing going on right here. You know, of course, Jesus doesn't, you know, you always got to dig in the passage. He doesn't do anything just, I mean, he, everything that's written in the Bible, there's a, there's a purpose behind it. Jesus wasn't just flippant. He wasn't just, he didn't just put some extra text in there. He wasn't like us. We just, with a filler right there. I need some filler right here. No, he meant something by everything he did. Are you guys with me here? And of course... One of the things that stood out to me was the obvious here. Of course, he, he called these 12 guys here, but there's a guy named Peter. Uh, it says he called Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Now, the name Peter means rock. Okay, so the first Rocky was Peter right here. So he gave him the nickname Rocky right there. He gives some more nicknames. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. He gave the names Bragenes, which means sons of thunder. And so he nicknames his disciples. And I realized that Jesus wasn't like us. We, we nickname people. Yeah, we're trying to encourage them, but we're trying to, we get a little dig in there when we kind of nickname them a little bit right there, you know. Of course, uh, our brother Diffu is in our kids' class, and Diffu loves to do this little dance he does, the ducky. So he's Diffu who likes to ducky. We put that little nickname in there for him. And of course, there are other nicknames. We got the jock of all trades right there. His name is Jock, but he does everything. All trades. When I got here, Jock was preaching, teaching, picking people up, and song leading. I mean, he was doing everything. He was doing everything. Jock was a hard-fighting soldier singing out. He was giving control, picking people up, feeding people, preaching, teaching, loving his wife. He was doing everything. I, that's the jock of all trades right there. <laughs> he does it all. But uh, I think what Jesus was doing here is he wasn't making, he wasn't giving nicknames just because he wanted to make fun of them. He 
was trying to encourage them in their passion for the lost. He was encouraging them in their commitment as Christians. He was trying to encourage them. This wasn't like a kind of a, a negative thing right here. When he named him Peter, he was like, dude. I mean, Peter hadn't done anything up until that point. In fact, he was getting ready to chicken out real soon. But you're the rock. You see, Jesus deals with men by respect. He speaks faith into them. Before he would become the rock, he was the rock. The sons of thunder hadn't done anything yet. But he named them the sons of thunder. He spoke faith into them. Because he saw that they had a passion about them. And true disciples are passionate. True disciples are passionate. You know, I've been um, kind of following our, our church, and hopefully you've been following the good news email that goes out about what's going on around the world and uh, as far as all of our, uh, our churches. And uh, I've got to just read to you the good news from our brothers and sisters down there in Los Angeles and a few excerpts from uh, the bulletin that was written about the passion for the gospel. Because I, I really believe, like some of the words that I read here, the, the, the passion for... Making disciples in this generation, evangelizing the nation in one generation, that passion has been lost. That passion has been lost. There's no congregations that are really embracing that because they know what that really means. To evangelize the nations in one generation, that's 30 years. It's going to require everything you got. And they did it in the Bible. From Acts chapter 2. To the time that Colossians, the book of Colossians was written, that's about 32 years. And by the time the book of Colossians is written, it says all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit. So they did it in the Bible. And if they did it in the Bible, we can do it nowadays. But you can't do it if you're not passionate. If you don't have a passion behind you. Where it doesn't matter what people say, doesn't matter what people think, that you are going to live out Jesus' dream for your life. You'll be passionate. Because you are the one... That he called here in London, England. Are you with me here? Let's kind of read what's been going on. The Lord added to our number. This is of course the church in Los Angeles. 11 to our number last week. Seven baptisms. Two place memberships. One from our former fellowship and two restorations. One was Nivan Bala. A former evangelist in India and Pakistan. Very excitingly. With a challenging goal of 334000 U.S. dollars for our mission's contribution, the Lord blessed us with 374956 U.S. dollars to help us plant five sold-out churches around the world. With those funds, we will plant Boston. Of course, Colton Manley is going to Boston right there. They're going to plant that church. Orlando, San Francisco, and Mexico City. And of course, our very own sister who was baptized in London. She's going to be a part of the Mexico City mission team right there. And most excitingly, my brother, my friend, Tim Curtin, is going to be over here. They are going to be planting the church in Paris, France this year. That's passion. 
God desires and demands wholehearted devotion from his people. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 23. Jesus reiterates total commitment when he asks of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Mark chapter 12 verse 28 through 30. At another time, Jesus explains, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And of course, we hide it in our hearts. Amen. He hid it again and went and sold all he had and bought that field. Matthew 13, verse 44. This sold out commitment does not pay for our salvation. But it's God's gracious condition for us to be received into his presence as his treasured possession. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 16 through 18. This same call echoes in the first century church. As on the first, on the very first day of its creation, 3,000 members were devoted to the apostles' teachings, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the bread, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In fact, at the height of persecution during Domitian's reign in the first century, Jesus admonishes the disciples, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. And of course, Jesus says you've got to be willing to die for what you believe in. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. God's people, physical Israel in the Old Testament, spiritual Israel for us nowadays, the church in the New Testament, are called to a singular devotion and a covenant of love, hot with zeal and passion for his purpose. Kiana, who is, our sister, who is in our sister church, Phoenix, traveled to L.A. to be baptized by her sister, Olivia. And she is, of course, one of the ones who was inspired by this last week. Sadly, in America and all over the world, everyone is plunged into this post-Christian era. In fact, for the first time in Gallup's tracking of Christendom, the issue has begun to be... Exp- the issue has been exposed that a majority of America's churches and around the world, 53% believe in same-sex marriage. They believe in recognizing this should be something that the law should get behind. On September 16, 2011, the UK government also announced plans to start a consultation of same-sex civil marriage. As a result of this consultation, same-sex civil marriage will be legal in the UK in 2015's general election. And of course, Gallup is a website that gives statistics that I'm reading from here. Gallup's politics, uh, Gallup's insight on California is as follows. On the website, Californiality is another shocking revelation. California's divorce rate is now a staggering 75%. Three out of four marriages in the Golden State that everyone wants to move to from all around the world end in divorce. The marriage breakup of our former first couple, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver. The marriage split of superstar Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony. Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphrey's breakup. Katy Perry and Russell Brand. The divorce drama. And the sad split of Seal and Heidi Klum are well-publicized examples of marriages that are on the rocks. Of the utmost concern, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., accounting for 34,598 overall deaths. The overall rate was 11.3 suicide deaths per 100,000 people. An estimated 11 attempts of suicide occur. 
An estimated 11 attempted suicides occur per every suicide death. In 2010, there were 5,608 suicides in people aged 15 and over here in the UK. What has been the Christian? What has been the Christian Church's response to the escalating darkness and the lack of passion in preaching the word? Today, churches embrace homosexual ministers. They perform gay marriages, cover up the sexual abuse of children by priests. The darkness of the world has leavened the church, eroding biblical convictions. It's now about relationships only. There's no call from the pulpit for obedience to the standard of truth, absolute truth, the word of God, the Bible, to rescue marriages and their families, let alone to give answers for those whose lives are hopeless and in despair. The traditional church, such as the mainline church of Christ, they're losing members. Not because they're calling people to be sold out. Because they're not. In fact, according to the Christian Chronicle, the international newspaper for the churches of Christ, since 2003, churches of Christ have lost more than 102,000 members. 102,000 people falling away. Not a couple people who are tired of being challenged, but 102 people, 102,000 followers. More people than the number that will attend America's Super Bowl. There two, the 2012 directory also counts 708 fewer churches of Christ than it did nine years ago. For many so-called Christians, they have found a home in community churches. Some choose these churches by relative proximity to their home. Others are mesmerized by the church band or entertained by the church choir. Both of which sadly cover up for a lack of passion and a lack of heart for singing out in the congregation. The concept of community church is foreign to the teachings of Jesus, who called God's people to be the light of the entire world, not just the local community. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. The core concept of community church is simple. To meet the needs of each of its members while often preaching a prosperity gospel. This is the complete antithesis of Jesus' radical call to change the world. And for you to surrender all your riches for his kingdom. Luke chapter 14 verse 33. Deceived and enticed. Many find community church to be better than the traditional church they left. Or were raised in. Yet in actuality, it's simply a matter of the degree of lukewarmness. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 through 22. Jesus addressed the church in Laodicea as lukewarm. No passion. Interestingly, the statement lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, has a historical background. In Heropolis, just six miles north of Laodicea, mineral water that was hot would flow from there all the way down to Laodicea. In Colossae, about 11, mi- 11 miles east, it was known for its pure cold water. So Jesus was saying something right here. Laodicea's water became lukewarm after it had to travel five miles to get to the city. Thus you see what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus says this. So because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
The distaste and the nausea produced by lukewarm food or drink, which the stomach naturally rejects with loathing, are used as a figure of speech in which to express the abhorrence of Christ for those who lack zeal and passion for his service. The vision of lukewarm church given to John was Jesus standing at the door and knocking. In other words, the spirit was not in the church. Jesus was trying to get in. The doors had been closed. And sadly, it was the members who were stopping him from getting in. That's why he calls them to get passionate again. Two questions arise. Why is Jesus so angry at a lukewarm church, a lukewarm Christian? Secondly, why don't lukewarm Christians, lukewarm churches, change? The answer to the first is quite simple. The word jealous or zealous are one and the same in the Old Testament or the Hebrew text. As a man would be upset with the adultery of his wife, so God is upset with Christians who are less than totally faithful to him. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 1 through 32. Amazingly, as Hosea once again loved Gomer, God will accept back because God will accept us back because of his grace and his mercy. If we would just repent. However, Jesus says, the lukewarm don't repent because what they say is, "Oh, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing." Jesus then confronts their apathetic numbness. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And that was where I was at spiritually. Until I came to church and heard where I was at. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. A lukewarm Christian or church feels that they're doing fine spiritually. Or they falsely convince or have been convinced that they're on the verge of changing to become hot. But the often infuriating truth to them is that they remain nauseous to Jesus. Many are alarmed when a congregation or a whole fellowship is labeled as lukewarm. Yet Jesus called the whole Laodicean church lukewarm. Interestingly, his address to Sardis church, he says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. However, after calling the church dead, he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, be dressed in white, for they are worthy, Revelation chapter 3 verse 4. So Jesus recognizes that in a dead church, lukewarm church, there are still a few that are sold out. Disciples. Some question, why can't we all be united? How come we all can't work together? The best parallel comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 36. When God scatters the exiles and Judah because there was no remedy, the Bible says. 2 Chronicles 36 verse 16. There was no remedy. So God scattered them. In other words, his people were so calloused, so cancerous in their teaching of lukewarmness and a lack of passion that God had to start all over again. Some in lukewarm churches may see their leaders as wholehearted devoted to God. Yet lukewarm churches exist because the leaders are either cowardly about the consequences of preaching the word of God and the Bible or they're sentimental. As they place relationship above the call of the gospel. And those are just some of the words from the article. I encourage you to go onto our website and read the rest. Amen? Amen. Woo! Passion. 
Are you in a passionate church? Are you a passionate disciple? You know, one of the things that we're going to do as a movement, and I, I got to read this part. To bring passionate fire to training evangelists and women's ministry leaders who can effectively build multiplying ministries, there must be walking with them as an expert builder, as well as forming our new schooling of forming our new Bible school, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Therefore, it is with great joy that we are formally announcing the founding of the International College of Christian Ministries. Awarded will be a Bachelor of Arts degree in ministry upon the appointment of evangelist and women's ministry leader in the sold out movement. We will also confer a Master of Arts at MA degree in ministry after the fulfillment of these requirements, the completion of a specified reading list, either the acquiring of second language or mission work or academic year of studying Greek, Hebrew in university. And number three, the writing of a thesis, which will be approved by the Central Leadership Council of God's modern day movement. We are invigorating the church with passion right there with a school. Is that not amazing? So as a sold out disciple, you can get a degree. You can get yourself a college degree. And you can become that minister. But of course, we got to ask ourselves, are you passionate? Is it seen? Are you lukewarm? Yeah, I had to look at my own heart and I just go, man, I, I, I can't. You know, because when you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. So when you're cold, that, I mean, you're not cold because you wouldn't be here if you're cold. Cold person doesn't even come to church. <laughs> I don't, I'm going to the Twickenham Stadium. I'm going to the, I'm going to, no, I don't even want to be. I got to go to the pub. They don't, they don't even come to church. The person that's on fire has got passion. But that person that's in between both, there's a lukewarmness. There's a lukewarmness. And of course, a true disciple is hot. A true disciple is on fire. He's passionate about the mission. She's passionate about the gospel. A true disciple is passionate. Are you with me here, church? We've got to reinvigorate our passion as a church. John chapter 13. You guys still with me here? True disciples are loyal. We've got to be loyal to one another. We've got to be loyal to God. In John chapter 13 and verse 18. Jesus says this. I love what he says here. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I've chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up. His heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens. I mean, you get a sense. Jesus kind of was weaving this into his sermon there. He's trying to prepare them for what's going to happen. So, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And testify, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. I mean, Jesus gets trouble. That one of, I mean, Jesus, the perfect preacher, the perfect discipler, the perfect, perfect in every way. 
mean, you're not going to have a D time with Jesus and he not do it the right way. I mean, Jesus cranked his D times. He cranked it, so he did everything perfect. And yet Jesus gets troubled because even Jesus had to fall away. Even Jesus had a lack of loyalty in his ministry. There was a guy that just, just wasn't loyal. And he didn't say nothing about it. And it troubled Jesus Christ. You know, if there's one thing that troubles me, is when disciples aren't loyal. It doesn't trouble me because, hey, it looks bad. Hey, they're not a part of our church. and maybe No, it troubles me because of where they're going to go spiritually. That troubles me. That bothers me. It doesn't bother me that someone doesn't become a disciple and I wasn't fruitful. What bothers me is they're not going to make it to heaven. That's what bothers me. It's not about me. It's not about us, guys. Yeah. It's all about God yeah. and being loyal to God. Are you guys with me here? Yeah. Verse 22. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. I love that. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and he said, Ask him which one he means. Guys are so sold out, they, they, they just knew it. It couldn't be us. Bro, 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 bro. Who's, he, who's he talking about there? You hear that in his sermon? Somebody isn't sold. Who's he talking about? I don't know, bro. You ask, no, you ask him. You didn't give me a And they just go back and forth right there. I never, I've read, I've read this passage, I don't know how many times, and I never saw that until this time that they were loyal. So loyal, they didn't even think it was, oh yeah. Dang, who's he talking about here? You know? yeah. He's got to be talking about one of my brothers. I'm not down on him, but who in the cool and cotton? Who's now? Who's who's got quiet reservations on special? Who, 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 who's got? Who, who doesn't like making disciples? Who, who is it? We got to get them. Sure. That's where they were. Yeah. That's how sold out they were. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. Verse 26. Jesus answered, "It's the one to whom I will give the piece of bread." When I have dipped it in the dish, then dipping in the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. That's a frightening thought. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast. Or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. And you just see the, 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 the poetic style of the word of God. How, how, how Jesus is the light of the day and Judas goes out and then it begins to be night. Just the light and the darkness, the contrast right there. And I just saw, I go, wow, these guys were loyal. They didn't even think. They, they were just loyal. They were all in. They were all in with all their hearts. You know, if there's an individual i got to lift up, a young man that I just continue to call attention to, it's a young man by the name of Gordo Esparza. Now, Gordo Esparza, we studied the Bible with when I was, I studied Bible with him with, a, with, with a, the teen ministry we were a part of back in Portland, Oregon. Gordo was 17 years old, and after he studied the Bible, he realized that, hey, the Catholicism, that evolved out of Christian, Christendom, and that became a false teaching. Sad. He realized that because he was a part of a Catholic church. And he saw that in the Bible laid on out very clearly. And he saw, I need to become a follower of Jesus. I need to become a disciple. So he wanted to get baptized. And so we, we, we studied with him and showed him, hey, what they did. And uh, he, you know, it came time for him to get baptized. 
And he went home in joy to tell his mom how he'd stopped doing all the evil things, the internet pornography, the lying, the drugs, the stealing, and how he's going to become a Christian at 17 years old, which is a miracle in and of itself. Amen? I mean, I'm fired up about young men like Ashley right here, that, that, that sold-out disciple right here. That are standing in a gap for young people saying, yes, you can. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Amen. But anyway, Gordo says, okay, I'm going okay, to get back. So he goes home. His mom says, if you join that church. I mean, they call people. They think they're so. You join that church, you're not going to be a part of this family anymore. You're out. You might as well take all your stuff and you need to leave. He goes, you mean leave? He goes, she goes, yes, you're out of this family. You're going against me. You're going against all that I taught you. And so Gordo called me up. And of course, I'm freaking out. I'm like, man, what, what are we to do? Gordo goes, what do you think I should do? And I go, what are some of the characteristics of the true disciples? He goes, well, like, like we looked at, that guy left his dad. Well, I kind of got to leave my mom. He goes, you think I should do that? I go, I, I, I'm not here to tell you what to do. What would Jesus call you to do? He goes, Jesus would call me to come follow him. I go, I think, he I think you're right, Gordo. But do this. Go tell your mom, write a letter to her tonight. Write a letter, tell her how much you love her. You, you. And so he writes this long, Mom, you're awesome, I love you. It doesn't matter what's happened in my life. I love you, you're an amazing mother. Please come to my baptism. In the morning, he, he woke up and the letter was ripped up into pieces on his Bible. Ripped up into pieces. He called me saying, what, what do you think I should do? I said, what do you think? He goes, I'm coming to become a disciple. I'm coming to get baptized. And Gordo came down and Gordo got baptized. Right before he got baptized, who comes walking in the back doors in tears? His mother. She came to church and saw her son get baptized. That's a young man who's loyal to the mission. He's loyal. He then wound up helping his younger friend, or his friend, Ricky Chalinor, become a disciple. Then Ricky and Gordo both leave and move to L.A. They become a part of a, uh, our, our campus ministry down there. They become two, of the, two pillars down there. Ricky himself becomes really uh, one of the young men in our movement that baptized. I mean, he, I don't know how many people he's baptized. He just baptized a lot of people. Quite, oh, yeah, yeah, he helped baptize Yuri. Forgot about that. Forgot about that. And now... Gordo and Ricky are moving back to Portland, Oregon from California to lead the church. Ricky's about 24. Gordo's about the same. Two men, two young men who are loyal to one another and loyal to the calling. And oh yes, they have been heavily persecuted. Heavily persecuted. How about us? How loyal are we to one another and to the calling? Your loyalty will be tested. It will be tested. And we have to be loyal to one another. Judas had quiet reservations. I've had quiet reservations as a Christian. But you know what's awesome about being a Christian and being in the church? You get to walk in the light. You get to get open about what you feel. You get to get open about what you think. Because things look different in the light than they do in the darkness. I want to challenge the church. No more quiet reservations. You feel something, think something, just, just be open. 
Talk about it. Don't let it rot you inside and you just become this like this here and you're like this. You can't really worship. Because you have those quiet reservations. Judas had quiet reservations. And it stopped him from being loyal. He said everything that everybody wanted. I mean, he never got rebuked on anything. You study out Judas, he never gets discipled on anything. Peter was getting nailed all the time. You are the rock. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> One minute he went from the rock to the devil. I mean, believe. You may have, you may have felt that in the daytime. One day you're awesome. Next week you're getting the, you know. Hey, you're loved. You're in the kingdom. Amen. But we've got to get rid of quiet reservations. We've got to be loyal to the gospel and loyal to one another. Are you with me here, church? We've got to be loyal. You know, if there's somebody I love, I love to death uh, in the church. I love him for his faith. I love him for his, his commitment. Uh, I love him uh, to death. It, it's our brother, James Morgan. He is loyal to the bone. You may need to get in there and disciple him, but he's loyal to the bone. Another brother that I, I, I so respect is so loyal to what we're doing here is our brother Victor Como in the back there. Just so loyal. And you know, I think as a church, we're, we're a loyal group. We, we love one another. But I, I want to challenge you. If you're not feeling the... If, you, if you've got those quiet reservations, I want to challenge you to be open. Be open. Walk in the light so we can be truly loyal to one another. You guys still with me here? Yeah. A couple of more and we're going to bring it home here. Matthew chapter 20. True disciples are servants. The character of true disciples. They're servants. Matthew chapter 20. See Patricia, she's saying amen with me. She knows right there. Patricia Fumba's with me there. Matthew chapter 20. It says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and knelt, kneeling down, asked him for a favor, or asked a favor of him. What is it that you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Oh, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from the cup. But to sit at my right or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, well, how did the ten hear about it? Because they went back and told them. <laughs> That's how the ten heard about it. It says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the, the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And the church said, I mean, is that awesome? A true disciple is a servant. They like to serve. They want to serve. It's a joy to serve. It encourages them to serve. It doesn't depress them. It fires them up. Wow, I'm serving. I'm doing this for the glory of God. You know, the church, uh, I think there was a prayer today that maybe we'll hit 3,000 in funds raised 
shaking buckets on the streets. Well, we, we've, we've, I believe we're over 3,000, actually, in funds raised on the street right there. And that's because disciples have come together and just say, hey, we're going to be servants. We're going to get out here and against what everybody believes, we're going to say, hey, can you support us and shake buckets? And of course, it, it, you, you see a lot when you get out there asking people to donate. You see a lot about your heart and you see the hearts of the people. It's, it was so convicting this week just getting out there, uh, just shaking some buckets. Of course, there's a couple of days you get there and, and people have to get, get there at different times. So me as the leader calling everybody to be sold out, there were a couple of days I got there and it was just, it was me and Jesus Christ again. <laughs> I was there. And other people came, amen. Other people came. But, but, but it was great for me to go, wow. Well, I'm not doing this for people. I got the wrong mindset anyway. I'm doing this for Jesus. Because he saved me. To think about the effort put in to baptize a guy who counted the cost seven times. Oh my goodness. I, I drove somebody crazy. I need, And I just changed my attitude. This is for Jesus Christ. As soon as that happens, then, then MJ comes rolling, walking on up there. And MJ, she's in college. She's got a hectic schedule, but she's out there serving, shaking buckets. <laughs> Can you support us? You know, a true disciple is a servant. And we've got to become servants in the church. I want to challenge you. I want you to ask the person that's closest to you. Where and what area can I be a better servant? Now, I know that's a challenging question because you, you, know, you may hear some things. But, but just ask that question. Where can I be a better servant? How can I be a better servant to God and to God's kingdom? True disciples are true servants. Amen? Amen. John chapter 19. True disciples are faithful. John chapter 19. Verse 23. It says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares. One for each of them, with the undergarments remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to the bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be filled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, and of course we know that's John. Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And right there we see, wow, John had proven faithful. He took care of Jesus' family. And we understand they, they became disciples. And I've read this over and over and never so like, whoa, this guy was faithful. Jesus was there dying on the cross and entrusted his family with the disciple whom he loved, who he knew would get his family. And so you see, Jesus is willing to go all the way to the cross, trusting 
believing that, wow, I'm just going to have to trust that the disciples are going to get my family. And they got his family. They got his family. I read this here because it really makes me think of the individuals in my family that are not true disciples. And it made me think of, uh, you know, some of my brothers and my, my cousins and my friends and my family. It made me realize that I may have to embrace this characteristic of being a true disciple. To be willing to go all the way to the cross and entrust that God is going to save my family through the disciples. That they may not become disciples in my lifetime. But I've still got to be faithful. Not only to God, but to the brothers. I mean, Jesus shows his trust in his brothers right here. He's faithful. A true disciple is faithful to the end. A true disciple, this isn't just about this church. This is about being faithful to the end. And entrusting those that are closest to us, to our brothers and our sisters. That they may be the ones that convert our family. See, I think one of the things that we've got to do is we, we, we have such a desire to see our family saved. Sometimes that desire can take over what God has put in our path and the plan that God has. And we can be so, so want our family that we don't trust. We're not faithful that, hey, maybe, maybe the other Christians are going to get your family. Yeah. And we see that Jesus trusted John and John had proven faithful. Put his own mother in the hand of Christ. Shows his reliability as well. You got to ask yourself, how trustworthy are you as a disciple? How trustworthy are you? Someone's mother, someone's brother, someone's sister is entrusted to your care every time you meet them. These are not just people on the tube we share our faith with. No, this is someone's mother, someone's brother, someone's sister. You got to prove faithful to the end. You know, one of, the, one of the disciples I love the most. She's one of our new converts. It's our sister, Christine Alamu, right there. Christine is faithful right there. And you know, Christine becomes a disciple. She, she wrestled through a few different things. And she had some challenges. And she, she, I, I like that. She wasn't, she's not a people pleaser. She's not going to tell you what you want to hear. She's like, I got to get this for myself. I got to see it. I got I to have my own faith so I can get behind this message here. And she gets behind it. She becomes a disciple. And she brings her family out. She brings her family. She brings her brother out. It was awesome. You know, we, 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 uh, I, can't, I think it was about a week ago. She just comes and she goes, hey, Michael, you've been reaching out to my brother? And I go, uh, yeah, I texted him a couple of times. So I thought when I she goes, oh, you, you got to reach out to my brother right there. You got to go after him. You know, she, she's looking at me right now. I was like, okay, amen. Amen. So, yeah, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting you with my brother's soul. Yeah, it hit me. I go, wow. So I've been texting, reaching out, developing a great relationship. But that's the level of trust she has. Wow, I'm going to trust you with my brother. That's her brother. I know how I feel about my brother. So I know how she must feel about her brother. The individuals you meet that you're bringing to Christ. These are just, these are, these are someone's mom, someone's brother, someone's these, these are special people to someone. More importantly, Jesus Christ. And a true disciple is faithful. We've got to be faithful to the people that God has put in our lives to help them become true disciples. Last two points, we'll close out here. True disciples are constantly growing. Write down 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. 
The Bible says, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. True disciples are always growing. And lastly, true disciples spend special time together. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 9 for our last passage today. True disciples spend special time together. Jesus says this here in verse 1. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling like white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I mean, that's, that's interesting right there. <laughs> and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And we stop right there. You just see that Jesus takes these guys, and he's transfigured there, and he takes them alone to be with him. To get that special time with him together. I mean, that must have meant so much for them, for Peter, James, and John, to get that special time with Jesus. Just to spend, just to spend with Jesus. See him transfigured, and like, wow. That would have been shocking. Oh, Jesus, you know. To see him just come down like that. It just made me think, wow. We need to embrace special time together. We need to start having more memories together. True disciples have to have some special times together. And I just started writing down some of the special times in London for me and some of the different individuals. And I won't hit everybody, but every disciple here is special to me. Every Christian that's standing up for Jesus is special to me. And I remember, I remember studying the Bible and, and making pancakes for Difu. Of everything we taught, I mean, nothing hit Difu's heart like those pancakes. <laughs> We taught him what it means to be a true Christian and this and that. But when he saw those pancakes, I will follow you wherever you go, brother. <laughs> I remember that. It was, an, it was an amazing moment. He gave his heart and we, we, we had that pancake time together. I remember counting the cost with Doppo in McDonald's right there. Sitting in McDonald's with Doppo King. A name of royalty. And I remember Dapo, and, and Dapo was, Dapo was, he wasn't the easiest convert right there. Dapo was tough. But I remember sitting there at McDonald's, me and Dapo and Tyler, and, and, and Dapo just going, you know, guys, I, I don't know what, what, what I'm doing. I, I believed in God. I don't know if I'm ready. If you guys think I'm, I'm ready, if you see that I have the characteristics of a true disciple, then, then I'll, I'll I'd love to be baptized as soon as possible. But if, I need, if there's more that i got to work on, guys, then just let me know. And I'll just keep working on it because I want to become a true disciple. Yeah, Dapo said that. Dapo said that. <laughs> and I remember that time sitting there in McDonald's with the french fries going and everything. And of course, we looked at him. Tyler looked at me. I looked at him. Looked at Dapo. Said, he's ready. And he became a disciple. He got baptized. Amen. I remember traveling out to Oxford having lunch with Jeff and Tiffin. And 
And I remember just going around Oxford and, and Tiffin, just serving and making a little French meal. You hungry? No, I'm not. Well, here's something to eat. I said, okay, amen. <laughs> she just wanted to feed me. She just wanted to encourage me. And just spending that time and, 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 and Tiffin just going after it. I just remember those times there, the special time together. I remember Nick and Hillary coming to our house back in Los Angeles, California. Oh boy, I remember their first Bible talk. And little Abby was going to town back then, right there. I remember. She was like, ah! and I And I saw Nick, and he just had this look on his face like, it doesn't matter. I'm with you, heart and soul. And I remember Hillary just going. She kind of, she was like, I don't know what we're doing. I know God's in control of it, but you just better take care of us, brother. <laughs> and I remember spending time with Nick and Hillary and them, them deciding to move all the way from Chicago. And that little moment there in our little apartment there in, in Hollywood. And uh, them coming to Bible talk and building that relationship right there. And, and seeing how God has used him to, to come over here and help build one of, one of the movement's pillar churches. I remember that time. I remember climbing uh, Mount Hollywood with J-Dub. I remember looking at Jen Watkins going, she's going to get tired. She's going to complain. J-Dub outwalked everybody. She climbed Mount Hollywood faster than me. She just, I thought, this woman's going to wear out. She's not this sold out. Oh, no, 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 no. She is that sold out. She is that sold out. She hasn't stopped walking ever since. That special time together. I remember traveling all over London looking for flats with James Morgan. My goodness. I, I, he got me to know the entire city of London in one day. I was at every single borough in one day with James. I mean, he just had me all over the place. But more importantly, I remember him being the one disciple that came all the way over to, Los, or came over to Portland, Oregon. That one mustard seed of faith just to visit us there in Portland. I remember that. I remember that was a special time. Like, wow. And here we are today building a church. I remember that. I remember Bible talk at Alley Pally. I remember being up there with MJ and Innie and Dale and, and everybody. I just remember going and go, wow, this is this is radical. <laughs> it was it was really cold and everybody was at Alley Pally outside on the grass with it wet, with their Bibles fired up. And I was not. <laughs> I was troubled. Whoa, these guys are radical. And they were fired. They were giving hugs. Jason Green. Every, Whoa, bro. I go, where are we going to sit? Right there on the grass. I go, hey, man. <laughs> I'm inspired. And I remember that time. I say, wow, that's a special time. I remember getting a call from Blaze Fumba. Saying, I want I want to come down there and join you guys. And be with you guys. And help build a great church. And I remember, man, this guy sounds awesome. He sounds like, what's he done? Well, it doesn't matter. He's a soul out of sight. Bro, I want you to come be with me. And then before you know it, about a couple of weeks later, Kip goes, do you know who that is? I don't know. He's an awesome dude, man. I'm fired up. I had a great dog. He's going to come. Oh. He led 22 churches in French-speaking Africa. The fear of God just came on me right there. Goodness. <laughs> I just remember that, 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 that moment right there. It's like, wow. And now he's here with us. Building God's church. Still fighting. When other men have quit. And he's still got faith. Jesus spent special time with his disciples. 
I want to challenge you to create some memories with disciples. I want to challenge you to start creating some incredible memories with the disciples in the church. Because that is one of the true characteristics of a sold out disciple. Are you guys still with me? I want to close here with a poem. Something that I wrote. I've kind of morphed it with a poem that I kind of read and put my own little spin on it. So bear with me. And uh, I really believe that as disciples, these characteristics, these, these different things we've covered today can inspire you. Not to be a bunch of rules to make you religious, but to inspire you about the heart of the true disciples. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice. Tend to ridicule being sold out. They also did it to John the Baptist. Can't truly fix problems, so being religious just masks it. No different than spraying perfume on an old dead casket. The problem with being religious is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, seeing the gospel as a long list of chores. Dress up the outside to make it look nice and neat. They used to do that to mummies while the corpse would rot underneath. No one's trying to judge, just saying no fake looks. There's a problem if people only know you're a disciple because of your Facebook. In every aspect of life, we know that logic is unworthy. It's like saying you play for Man United just because you bought a jersey. This was how I used to live. And no one seemed to be on to me. Calling myself sold out. Still struggling with bitterness, criticism, and pornography. Spent my whole life making a facade of coolness and neatness. But a sold out disciple truly boasts in their weakness. Grace is like water and the kingdom is like an ocean. It's not a museum for all the good people. It's a home for all the broken. Don't have to hide my failure. Don't have to cover up my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. When I was still an enemy and definitely not a fan. Jesus said, come follow me. I want that man. So at the end of the day, it's not the voice of Michael. This is the spirit calling you to embrace the characteristics of being a sold out disciple. God bless you. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.